finding ourselves back in the book of Acts in chapter 3 this morning. And we're going to consider uh, verses 1 through 10 today. Uh, We'll first pray, then we'll read the text, and then we'll make some observations and applications in the passage. So first, would you join me in prayer? Father in heaven, we desire this morning to glorify you in the study of the scriptures. We praise you for your saving grace toward us. We are in need of your continued grace this morning. We ask, Lord, that you would illuminate the passage for our understanding, that you would inflame our hearts and love for you and for your people, that you would engage our will to move out in obedient faith. We pray for all the church that gathers today, And particularly, I want to pray for the church at Old Town this morning. I pray, Lord, that the gospel will be clearly delivered through Rudy. And may the church there and here respond in faith. We ask all of these things, confident in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, who is our Lord and Savior. Amen. As you are able, would you please stand with me for the reading of God's Word from Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man, lame from birth, was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the Beautiful Gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk. And he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. This is God's word. Y'all may be seated. I want to tell us this this morning. I'm going to front load the whole message right here in the beginning. I'm going to front load everything. I'm going to give you the whole truckload right up front. We are still in a pandemic. Our neighbors, our coworkers, our fellow students, everywhere we go, people are perishing. All around us, people with the debilitating disease that they had at birth. The disease is sin. Sin has rendered them with an inability to save themselves. Our whole society is infected with this dreaded disease. And we cannot buy our way out of it. We cannot legislate ourselves out of these social Uh, societal difficulties. We cannot redistribute enough wealth to bring about the flourishing of humankind. In the name of liberalism, our neighbors and friends cannot be healed. 
in the name of conservatism, our neighbors and our friends and our co-workers cannot be healed of this dreaded disease. You see, the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. And there is but one name, one name by which our family, our friends, our neighbors, our co-workers will be healed of this dreaded disease called sin. And it is Jesus Christ. There is one name, one name by which our friends, our neighbors, and our co-workers can be healed, and it is the name of Jesus Christ. And there is an instrument by which the cure is delivered. There's an instrument by which the cure is delivered. It is the Holy Spirit-empowered witness of the church. There is one name by which people may be saved, and there is an instrument. And we are in here, in this room, with a room full of God's instruments, empowered by the Holy Spirit to bring about the salvation of our neighbors and our friends and our co-workers. Are we confident in Jesus Christ? Are we confident that in His name our neighbors can be cured of this dreaded disease called sin? I think only as we appropriate that and understand that in ourselves. That it is only in Christ that I am what I am. It is only in Christ that I am what I am now. It is only in Christ that I have been taken from darkness into His kingdom of light. It is only in Christ. It is only in His name that I was saved, that you were saved. So as we look at the background of our passage this morning, it is a larger section beginning here in chapter 3, verse 1, and it goes all the way through 542. And in this, in this larger section, we see two incidents where the Spirit-empowered witness does what it does, and it saves, the power of the Holy Spirit saves in the mighty name of Jesus, and it comes into conflict with the world. It comes into conflict with the religious system of the day. And today we're going to examine just the event in chapter 3, and then next week we'll hear Peter's sermon that explains what was going on here in the Spirit-empowered witness. So let us uh, look more closely at Acts chapter 3 and verse 1. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. Remember in chapter 1, we dealt with the preparation for the day of Pentecost. That is, when the Spirit was poured out, which we saw in chapter 2. And two weeks ago, we examined what happens to the spirit-born believer that there becomes a pattern of life in those whom the Spirit had quickened to new life. Remember Acts 2, uh, 46, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. This had become the new pattern of life. And so now we open this chapter seeing Peter and John who living according to the power and the pattern of the Spirit in their lives, they did what would be, been, be had become customary for the Spirit-born believer, that they were going up to the temple. They were going up to the temple to participate in the prayers of the temple service. Now you might think to yourselves, well, these are born-again believers in Christ. Why are they going up to the Jewish temple? Right? Well, see, the idea here that I want us to get is that 
religious devotion of the early Christians was a daily affair. It was just a given that this was a daily affair. Therefore, the early Christians took part in this daily worship of the temple. And this daily worship, worship at the temple was conducted by the priests. But there was always a congregation that just stood outside where they could see the priests going about their duties, going in and out and entering the sanctuary. And these, John and Peter, come up to participate in the prayers of the temple at the ninth hour about three o'clock. And they would hope then to receive also a blessing from the priests as they went up. So even though, and since the early Christians had been born again to a new life in true relationship with God by the Spirit through faith in the Messiah, the Christians of the early church thought that it was natural to take part in the worship of God in what was the acceptable manner of the day. What I want us to take notice of here is that Peter and John were living according to the pattern of life in the Spirit. And as they go to the temple, to the ninth hour of prayer, what is it that, that, that they were doing? See, they, they came to be available. To be available, to be used for whatever God in the Spirit was going to do next. I ask us this this morning. Do you desire to be used of God for His purposes in the world? If you do, I would ask you this. Are you living a life in the disciplines of a patterned devotion to Him? Or are you and I mired in the mundane things such that you're encumbered by so many worldly distractions that you render yourselves unavailable? I posit this, that the effective Christian is the person who lives according to the pattern of disciplined devotion that was wrought in them by the Holy Spirit. And this person, this Christian, has the one ability, this is one ability that the Lord is looking for in every one of us. Availability. That is our primary ability. See, opportunity comes for the Spirit to work through Peter and John as they are living a patterned life, one in Christ that, according to the Spirit, made them available for service. You see, John and Peter were going to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, as was their custom, as what they were accustomed to be doing. As they were doing what they were accustomed to, that as they were living according to the pattern, they were available for what the Holy Spirit might do next. Verse 2, And a man, lame from birth, was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. So as Peter and John are about to enter the temple, as was their custom, an opportunity presented itself to them for the Spirit of God to do what only the Spirit of God can do, what only He can do. Notice who it is that, a, that they see. A man lame from birth. A man born with an inability to provide for himself the necessities of life. A man who was dependent upon others to place him in a position where he just might receive a tiniest crumb of grace. 
He was dependent on somebody to, to put him in a place where he just might receive even just a crumb of grace of those who were going up to the temple to worship. He had to be seen. They had to, he had to be put in a place where he might be seen, where he might receive pity, where he might receive like even just a morsel of kindness by those who passed him by. And think about this. These men and women who are going up to the temple to worship and they're, they're going out into this thing. Many would certainly have walked by this lame man, wouldn't they? And they would walk by him pretending that he doesn't even exist. And they would maybe drop only a coin at him so that they might be seen by their brothers and their friends as somehow meritoriously pious. That their brothers and their priests might see them as somehow meritoriously good because they dropped a coin in. Or they would just pass him by and not even look at him. Because to look at him is to acknowledge that he exists. And to acknowledge that he exists acknowledges that there might be a problem in me. This man who is lame, I might be the same as him. I might be looking for a crumb of grace, a morsel of kindness. If I ignore him, he doesn't exist. There was an analogy I saw in a movie. But since I couldn't remember what movie it was I saw it in, I thought I'd leave it out, but I think I might, because I think it was born on the 4th of July, but I'm not sure. And the man is sitting there in a wheelchair, and he's in, you know, like Penn Station in New York, and he's in this big uh, station, and people walk by, and he says, why did that man just throw the coin and keep, look, keep walking? Why didn't he even look at you? He pays so he doesn't have to look is what the man says. He pays so he won't look, so he doesn't have to acknowledge this. Well, I want us to notice here in verse 4, and Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. There's much more going on here in that short little verse than you might imagine. Peter says, look at us. What he's actually saying is, we see you. We see you in your humanity. We have taken notice of your frailty. We are compassionate concerning your great need. Look at us. We see you. The phrase in Greek, lame from birth, fully meted out or, or understood means born with a complete inability. I want to ask us this, as we travel about in our daily lives, do we see the hurting and the lost with the compassion of Christ? With the compassion of, of John and Peter here, I see you. I acknowledge the frailty of your condition. I really, really see you. Do we really see them? Or do we pretend not to see the beggar that's at the street corner? Do sometimes maybe we give a gesture of, say, a food box to a family just so we won't have to acknowledge them and won't have to look at them? 
Or do you see them as this, their real condition? The real heart of the problem, the real condition. That they're separated from God. Lame from birth. Lame from birth. Born with an inability to save themselves. Born with a completely debilitating sickness caused by sin. And with compassion do we say, I see you. Your great need is known. Verse 5, and he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I have, I do, I, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. There was something in the eyes of Peter and John that connected and communicated to the lame man. These two can help me. These two can help me. They've noticed me. They've seen me. They can help me. They've taken notice of me. And he says, they will surely give me something. He was expecting that they might receive, that he might receive something from them. Peter says, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. What I have and what you need cannot be supplied by what the world possesses. That's what he says. What I possess and what it is that you need, worldly goods will do me no good. Worldly goods will do you no good. I cannot buy you out of your condition. Throwing money at your situation will not bring you what you need. If I had all of the goods of the world to give you for today's need, you might be able to eat tonight, but tomorrow you'll wake up lame. If I gave you silver and gold today, tomorrow you're going to wake up lame. You're going to still have a complete inability to care for yourself. You may go to bed with a full belly. But tomorrow you'll need somebody to carry you to a place where you might be seen. Where once again you will be dependent upon the kindness of strangers to get your next meal. I have no silver and gold, but what I do I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. What I have, I give to you. I give you Jesus. In his name, there is healing. I would say, I hope that you guys see this, that all around us, the pandemic of our day is evident. Our whole society is infected with the disease of sin, inherited at birth rendering all people lame. They are like lost sheep without a shepherd. People perishing underneath the wrath of God, totally and completely crippled, with no ability in themselves to be reconciled to God. Like Peter and John, 
men whose day of Pentecost had already come on them. We too, having had the Spirit of God poured out on, a, on us, we have the cure. We have the cure. You've got to acknowledge the disease, though. You've got to acknowledge the and have compassion for those who are born with that inability, that were born lame from birth. Jesus had that same compassion in his ministry, did he not? Even on the cross. Forgive them, Father, they know not what they do. Jesus had that same compassion and that same heart. that said, they can't help themselves. And when he saw those who were not being cared for, in his heart, he was broken. And, and Jesus said, they're, they're like sheep without a shepherd. He had compassion on them because they are crippled. They are crippled by sin with no ability. And here's the thing I want us to have confidence, brothers and sisters. We may not have what the world wants, but we do possess what they need. We may not have what they want, but we possess what they need. And think about how much you're hated for proclaiming the thing they need. How opposed the world is to that thing that you have. But we have what they need. Acts 1 verse 8, remember, tells us, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And see, here as Peter and John go about living the new pattern of life that was wrought in them uh, in Jesus Christ, they were attending to the daily disciplines of prayer and worship in the temple and in the homes of the church family. Opportunity here has arisen for the Spirit-empowered witness to manifest Jesus Christ of Nazareth to a man who was helpless from birth that he might be healed. Are you available for the opportunities that the Spirit has for us? Are you walking in the disciplines of the Lord available to be used by the Spirit of God as these men were? And what does the Spirit-empowered witness do? Tells the truth concerning Jesus Christ. Jesus, the Messiah. Notice that he says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. He wants him to make sure, see, that he completely tells them who Jesus is. Jesus was a real man at a real time in a real place. God sent him. He is his Savior, his Messiah. This Jesus, who I proclaim to you, it is in his name that you shall be healed and only in his name. The Spirit-empowered witness tells the truth concerning Jesus Christ. Jesus, the Messiah, the atoning cure for the humankind's inability, inborn inability to please God. The witness, see, possesses no worldly good that will heal anyone. The witness is not the cure. The witness is not the cure. The witness 
is but once a former sick man or woman who has been healed in Jesus Christ by the power of the Spirit. And in that power of the Spirit, they carry the antidote for what ails the world around us. It is the mighty name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. In His name, and in His name alone, we have the antidote for the human problem. And we must proclaim Him. We must be true and faithful witnesses to Jesus Christ. Let us look again back at our text. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. The writer of the book of Acts, Luke, in his when he began the volume of this account, uh, that he was telling Theophilus that the, f the former account I gave you was, was, was in the gospel that bears his name was all about what Jesus began to do and to teach. And in this account, it is the continuing work of Jesus Christ after his death, resurrection, and ascension to the Father. This is the continued work of Jesus Christ by the power of the Spirit. You see, Jesus Christ is still at work today. That the mighty name of Jesus still saves. That the mighty name of Jesus and His atoning death is the appropriate cure for the problem of the human heart. He says this Jesus continues to work today. And this Jesus Christ, His work continues today through the Spirit-empowered church, the one who testifies that there is no other name by which you can be saved, that we possess the cure for the problem of the human heart. In John 14, Jesus says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. The Spirit-empowered witness, Jesus Christ has one goal. The Spirit-empowered witness of Jesus Christ has one goal. I want us to get this. Do we have this same one goal? Is this our heart? This is the one goal that the Spirit-empowered witness of Jesus Christ is about, and that is the glory of God. Jesus says so right here in this passage, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. The glory of the Father is the goal of Jesus Christ, was His goal, was His aim, was His, his life. It's what He was about, was the glory of the Father. And those who are to be true witnesses of Jesus Christ, that's the same goal, is the glory of God. And guess where the glory of God comes? It comes through and in the Son as we proclaim the name of Jesus as the only name by which one may be saved. The glory in God is what? Is to be confident. To live to the glory of God is to be confident with all that God already is for us in Christ Jesus. If you are confident of who Christ is for you and in you in the world, you will glorify God. 
You will give him glory and praise. God is glorified most when the Son is manifested. The pattern of our lives is the Spirit filled uh, and is, is motivated to glorify God through His Son, Jesus Christ. The pattern of daily praise and worshipful prayer readies the Christian to be available for the opportunity to tell the truth about Jesus. You know, I've often said this, that you can't give out what that, that which you do not possess. So if you are, are, are a Christian who barely has any time in God's Word, an opportunity comes, what comes out? What comes out is what you put in. You can't give away that which you do not possess. If your life is about the glory of God and devotion to Him, when opportunity comes and you, 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 you're faced with the world and the, the sickness of sin in another human being, you will have the compassion of Christ because Christ is in you. And you'll say, I see you. I see you. And because of your brokenness, I want to tell you about someone. I want to tell you about the one who can heal you. I want to tell you that there is no other name by which you can be healed of this situation you're in. I want to tell you the truth about Jesus. I want to be a faithful witness to Jesus Christ to you. To proclaim the cure that's what we're doing. Proclaiming the cure for the debilitating effect on the human heart. To proclaim that there is forgiveness. There is forgiveness in the only name by which you can be saved. Faith is confidence in who Christ Jesus is. I would say faith is also satisfaction in all that Christ is. The cancerous pandemic of the fallen human heart is all around us. And church, you, you are the instrument of the Holy Spirit, which through the power of God flows. When you are living in this pattern of life of devotion to Christ and do devotion to understanding who he is in his word, when you are committed to those things, the power of the Holy Spirit flowing through you is the instrument by which God will use to proclaim the cure. And the cure is the proclamation and manifestation of the mighty name of Jesus. And all of that is done to the praise for the Son and to the glory of God. So here's the lame man leaping and praising God. Verse 9 and 10. Here's the response. And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and they recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. The healing of the man born with a complete inability to heal himself, the one who was, had an inborn debilitating ailment, he left the crowd with wonder and amazement, the text says. 
Wonder and amazement, amazement can be translated this, dumbfounded, astonished, and it can also mean ecstatic. They know that a work could be done in him, but at the same time they were dumbfounded and, ast and astonished. How could it be that this man walks? And because the heart of the human, uh, the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart, our neighbors, our family members, our co-workers, and us in a former time, former time, were born with this same lame inability to please God and to save ourselves. Sin renders the sinner completely and utterly depraved of any ability in themselves to be reconciled to God. You see, it's clear here that salvation is an act of God. The Spirit of God must be poured out upon the human heart such that the cure for the human problem, the truth about Jesus Christ, would be made manifest to them. You and I are the instrument God will use to make known the power of Jesus Christ to heal the lame heart. And how will you know that it is a work of God when one gets saved, when one is healed, how do you know for sure that it is a work of God? It is when none of the praise comes to you. All of the praise goes to Him. Then you know that God is at work in this situation. Praise be to God. When a person get saved, I hope that they don't praise the one who preached the word to them. I hope they don't praise you for your faithful witness. I want you to be faithful witnesses to Jesus Christ, and I want people to get saved by, by, by God's grace and, and His work through you. But I sure hope that no one ever comes up to me and says, Jeff, you saved me. Jeff, your words healed me. That is putting way too much burden upon me. It is giving, it is robbing my God of glory. I suppose that if a man could have saved me, he would have saved me, right? But I know the wretchedness of my heart condition before Jesus came, and there was no man who was ever going to save me. It was only the grace of God in Jesus Christ that saved me. It was only the power of the Holy Spirit that came down into my life and took the heart of stone and made it flesh that I might turn and believe. It was only an act of God that saves any of us. You will know that God is at work when it is only God who receives the glory. So here... The response of the crowd is wonder and amazement. Next week, we will hear Peter give an explanation for what was going on there. And in his proclamation of what was going on there, he will point out that you too 
are lame from birth. And you too can only find salvation in Jesus. And then following that, the following next week, the week after, we will see how the council and the religious respond. It can't be just salvation in Jesus' name alone, they might say. There's got to be some adherence to our laws and our rules and our regulations. You can't just proclaim that Jesus saves, that it is Jesus who heals. You can't just claim that. I think in order for us to claim that, though, one last thing before we take a pause and, and reflect on God's Word is, is this. In order to proclaim the cure, we must acknowledge the disease. We must acknowledge the complete inability of a human being to save themselves. And in addition to that, we not, must not see those around us as despicable and disgusting and horrid. We must have the compassion of Christ upon them and say, Oh my goodness, this person was born lame from birth. I have the cure. I need to tell them about the grace of God found in Jesus. I think we need to understand that before we proclaim the name of Jesus. We've got to understand the disease. And we've got to have a heart of compassion for those that the Spirit may prompt us uh, to interact with even this week as we leave here.